Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Good to see everybody here today. How many of you glad to be in God's house? Say amen. amen. How many of you rather be here than in jail? Say amen. amen. How many of you really ought to be in jail? Raise your hand. There's a couple of you. <clears throat> but I knew that already, so... Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 24 through 29. The title of the message is A Word to the Wise, and as I said, this is the last in our series from the Sermon on the Mount. Let me ask a question that I may regret, and I don't want you to answer out, out loud. <clears throat> Do you really listen to the sermon on Sunday morning? Please just think about it. It's one of those pensive things I want you to think about. Don't answer. The next question is, how well do you listen to the sermon on Sunday morning? How important is the sermon to you? I read a story about President Franklin Roosevelt, who often endured long receiving lines at the White House. And he complained that no one really paid any attention to what, he, uh, what was said. And so one day during a reception, he decided to try an experiment and to each person who passed down the line and shook his hand, he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. <clears throat> the guest responded, marvelous. Keep up the good work. We're proud of you. God bless you, sir. It wasn't until the end of the line, while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. Unruffled, the ambassador leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. <clears throat> the question is, do you really listen to the sermons on Sunday morning? Are they worth listening to? One Sunday, a husband stayed home while his wife went to church. And when she got back, she, he asked her what the preacher had preached about. And she said, I don't know. He never really said. <clears throat> Now, that's a bad Sunday in God's house right there, amen? Today, we're going to bring to a close a series on the greatest sermon ever preached, and I hope that you remember what was said and what was preached, because this sermon is from Jesus. Jesus has stated his case very clearly, and he ends the message with a word to the wise. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does uh, not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Well, for this final message, I want to ask three final questions. The first question is this, can you hear it? Here's a verse of, that is pertinent to the message today and, and pertinent really to any message from the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew eleven fifteen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. On eight different occasions, Jesus made a distinction for those who have ears to hear. 
Now, you would say all of us have ears to hear. Well, we may all have ears, but we don't have ears to hear necessarily. He's reminding us that not everyone who can listen to Jesus does listen to Jesus. Sometimes parents become discouraged by their children who just will not listen to them. Sometimes parents say things, did you hear what I said? Do you listen to me? Why aren't you listening to me? Any number of things like that that we might say to our our children. Teachers in school experience the same thing. Preachers certainly find themselves speaking to deaf ears. While this is all disturbing, the sting of it is mitigated somewhat by the reality that Jesus himself found it to be challenging to get people to take seriously the warnings and the instructions that he gave. Now, what should the people who heard, who have heard the Sermon on the Mount have heard? What should we have heard from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? Well, first of all, we should have heard opportunity knocking. I want to just give you a brief overview of what we have learned from the Sermon on the Mount. We have heard the Beatitudes and the promised blessings that are accompanied with the Beatitudes. We have heard the importance of being salt and light. We have heard that from the Sermon on the Mount. We have heard from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is everything, all or nothing, and that while the world holds us accountable for our actions, God holds us responsible for our intent, whether the actions are carried out or not. We've learned all of this from the Sermon on the Mount, if we've had ears to hear. We heard the opportunity knocking to understand the importance of going the extra mile and the value of modesty in serving uh, the Lord where uh, it is emphasized. We've learned the pursuing of, of prayer and the overcoming of worry and being very careful in how we judge others. All were an opportunity knocking at the understanding of our heart's door. It wasn't just to fill in a Sunday morning. Those were all opportunities that God was giving to us. And today, Jesus says, if you had ears to hear, you should have heard those things. Jesus certainly has warned us about false prophets. And he warned us last week about false hopes. There have been so many things in this message with every point being an opportunity to either direct our course or correct our course to learn our lesson, to straighten our path, or to help us find our way. These are all opportunities that have been knocking as the Sermon on the Mount has been shared Sunday after Sunday. The question is in whether or not we have responded. Have we responded to the wisdom calling when the opportunity was knocking? Jesus says that when we hear and do as he is instructed, then we are wise. Wisdom is something that all of us should pursue. We should pursue it above anything else. At least that's what the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. If we have ears to hear what Jesus has been saying, we have a unique opportunity, a unique opportunity to hear opportunity knocking, and to get the wisdom that is before us. 
I attended a graduation this week over in Jacksonville. My daughter-in-law, Lindsay, graduated with a master's in nursing. Very proud of Lindsay. And there were several people that spoke during the, uh, a certain ceremony. And in that ceremony, one person said, I heard someone say one time that wisdom is better than knowledge because you can't do anything, or wisdom is better than intelligence because you can't really do anything to get your intelligence, but you have to work at wisdom. Wisdom comes by experience. I guess my question today for all of us is, can we hear it or did we hear it? Did we hear opportunity knocking? Did we hear wisdom calling? Here's the second thing that I'd like to ask us today. Do you see it? Can you hear it? And do you see it? Jesus has given us something to hear. Now he gives us something to see. The text is short, so let's review it again. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be, here's the picture, like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. We can see that, can't we? Living this close to the coast, we can see that illustration and see how that illustration would play out. We are responsible, the Lord is saying, for the information that we've been given. You are now responsible. Whenever we're given information, we are responsible for that information. That was one of the things that was so amazing about the Penn State situation uh, so many months ago is that information about the assistant coach had been given to several people and there appeared to be a complete lack of responsibility for the information that they had been given. All the time when we get information, we are responsible for that information. When you're going down the road and uh, on the interstate and the speed limit is 70, you're responsible for that information. When there's work on the road and those signs come out and say uh, speeding fines doubled and very clearly the speed limit now has been brought back down to to 60 or whatever it may have been brought down to you're now responsible for that information we're responsible for the information that we have in life our responsibility for the information in the sermon on the mount is not only in light of the life we live today but the in light of the life ahead here's what we should be able to see from all that Jesus has given us in the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, we should see this. All of us are builders. We're all builders. I grew up around construction. I had my first job when I was 14 years old. My brother was a uh, framing contractor, that is, uh, contractors, general contractors, hired him out mainly to frame houses for them. And so he was a framing contractor. And when I was 14, he offered me a job. Now, this really wasn't a job that I had an option to turn down because he offered the job to my daddy for me. 
so I didn't have an option to turn it down, and I probably wouldn't have turned it down anyway. And I earned $1 an hour when I was 14 years old for 50 hours a week. Now, as far as I know, there was no minimum wage back then. At least nothing was ever said of it when I was paid a dollar an hour. As far as I know, there was no overtime law back then because I was paid a straight up dollar an hour. As far as I know, there were no child labor laws because they really worked me very, very hard. And I was glad for all of that. When I first went to work for him, I was lost. But as the summer wore on, one summer came after another, I began to see the picture of how a house came together. And we transitioned from just doing framing to doing some trim work and then building some houses from start to finish and so on. And, And let me tell you the kind of impression that that made on me. And some of you who are either in the building business or have been in the building business will understand this. The impression that, ma- that made on me is that to this very day, now, today, right now, you could blindfold me and you could take me to a house under construction. And I'm very serious about this. And by the smell of the work site, by the standing me inside the house and by the smell of the work site, I can pretty much tell you where that house is. I can tell you if, if that house is uh, in the, uh, the framing stage. I could tell you if it's in the foundation stage. I could tell you by, by the smell of the dirt and the freshness of the dirt. I could tell you if it's the, in the framing stage by the, uh, the smell of the, the fresh cut lumber. I could tell you uh, that. I could tell you if it's in the drywall stage. I can tell you by the, the smell of the, the mud that's on the drywall or the spray if they did the, uh, uh, the orange peel or they <clears throat> sprayed the ceiling or something or the, uh, the hard coat. I, could, I can tell you that. I can certainly tell you if it's painting. I can tell you usually <clears throat> if it's in the trim stage. Now, the reason I can do that is because I've had so much experience back in, although it was many, many years ago. Now, the truth is that we've all had experience in life because we're all builders. One of the things that young people should understand, they usually don't, but one of the things that they should understand is that whatever they are building in their lives today, their parents and grandparents have already come through that building stage and are very familiar with the stage of the construction. Very familiar with what this part of life is like and what that part of life is like. They're familiar with the mistakes that they made. They're familiar with the successes that they had. It's a difficult thing, usually, to get one of our children or grandchildren to understand that, but it's the truth. Because we are all builders. Now, in the course of our life in general, that's what we're building. We're building a skill set. We're building a an understanding. We're building a spiritual walk. We're building a sphere of influence. We're building resumes of successes and failures. Sometimes your children will be talking to you and they may reference someone and you say, oh, well, I know the guy that they work for or I know the guy that they used to work for. And they're amazed. How do you know this person? 
Well, it's because we've been building a long time. We've come through a, a lot of stages of, of construction. And hopefully we're wise enough to see where and how we are building. And when our building is complete, then life is over. Here's what that means. If right now you can fog a mirror, you're still building. There's still something you're building in your life. There's still something you should be working on in your life if you are still alive. You have a purpose and something that you're building, and God wants you to continue to build that. All of us are builders. Not me, Pastor Ray. I'm not building. I'm just floating along. Okay, then you're building a raft. But you're all builders. All of us are builders. Here's the second thing. Not only are we all builders, but we all face the storms. Every one of us faces storms. There's not a person in this room who has not, does not, or will not face a storm. On the first Sunday of May, Dr. David Bowler is going to be speaking for us here in our church. He's going to be speaking at NFC graduation, and then he's going to come and speak for us on Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to that. I love David Bowler. He is one of my best friends. He's one of the best preachers that I know. He is a powerful preacher of the Word. He is as funny as he can possibly be. I just dearly love David Bowler. And, and he and his wife, Sue, have been friends of ours for a long, long time. And a few years ago, Jan and I uh, traveled to Hawaii with the Bowlers and, and two other couples. Um, and we eventually voted two of those couples off the island, but, uh, <clears throat> but we were there. And we were just loving and <clears throat> enjoying the beauty. We're at Ma- on Maui and just love the beauty and so forth. And we're riding along one time, and, and Dr. Bowler's from Alabama originally. He said, I wonder what Hawaii has. And I said, what? He said, I just wonder what Hawaii has. He said, you know, everybody's got something. California's got earthquakes. And Florida has hurricanes. And, and the north has snow. And, and Tennessee has tornadoes. I just wonder what Hawaii has. Everybody's got something, he said. It's kind of true. <clears throat> what do you ask about Hawaii? It could be asked about your life. It could be asked about mine. All of us have something. All of us have a storm. I would never do this, but if I had an open mic this morning and I had people just to get up and come by, tell us what storm you're in. First of all, you'd have a hard time doing that because you don't want to uh, tell everything that's going on in your life. But I could just about guarantee you that everyone who has lived any length of life will have some storm they could stop and talk about this morning. Everybody here. We, if, when we don't have something going on or, or something, else, uh, something else is on the way, that's just life. You say, well, I'm, I'm in a pretty good time right now. I really don't have a storm. Well, hang on. There's going to be a storm. There's going to be another cold front come through. We're holding and building our lives to withstand the storms of life because storms are going to happen to every single person. Here's what Job said. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. You can do an inventory of your life when trouble comes to see if there's something missing or 
if you need to correct your course, but not of all, all of life's troubles are the result of a mistake or sin. Sometimes it's just because life is full of troubles. We're simply experiencing what everyone else experiences, the storms of life. And while we should be compassionate, we should care and all of those things, I don't know that any of us should ever be shocked that a storm has come to somebody's life. We shouldn't think, well, they are immune from the storms. No one is immune from the storm. The question is not the storm. The question is our response to the storm. What is our response to the storm? Well, I'll tell you this. Fools fall. That's just the truth. Building a life without the wisdom of God and His Word is like building a house on the sand. There is a reason that houses built on the coast have strict foundation laws. There's a reason that if you have, have built something uh, down on the coast that, that probably you went down with, with some serious pilings down below with concrete and steel and you built a, a foundation that would withstand the storm because you knew you couldn't sit your shack on the sand. You knew that you had to get down deeper. And that's just the way that, that uh, we build if we're smart. We built on something strong. You can't build on sand and weather the storm. You have to lay that foundation. The, the house may look good, but once a, a real storm comes along, there will be a difference between your house and the neighbor's house because one's built on the sand and the other is built on something else. Now, what's true for a house at Carabell is true for a life in Tallahassee. There are so many superficial choices that we can make in life, but none of them will withstand the storm. You can choose to put your, build your trust on a lot of things, but if you do not build your life on the solid rock, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If you do not build on Christ the solid rock, if He is not your corner stone, then when the storms come and they blow and the wind blows, you will find yourself in, in serious collapse. Your life may look good from the outside, but if there is no solid rock under it. The pressure of the storm is going to reveal the quality of your life. You ever seen somebody go along and seem like they're doing really, really well, and then something comes and hits them, and they just go all to pieces, they drop off the map, they, they, they just absolutely lose any sense of direction in their lives, <clears throat> they lose any sense of, of a solid base in their life. What, what's wrong with that person? Well, sometimes what's wrong with that person is that they weren't building on the solid rock. I, I love, my, my son Nathan's here this morning. He's been uh, really killed during session, but, but he is here this morning. I, I cannot tell you how much I love my family. I, I loved my sons when they were born. I loved them as they were growing up. I love them today. I, I just, I dearly love my family. But I want to tell you something. I can't, they can't be my rock. 
They no longer live at my house. Mrs. Ray and I are at the house. They don't live there. We still love them. Bradford asked me the other day in front of Nathan. I don't know if you remember this, Nathan. Bradford asked me, he said, Pops, who do you love more, Daddy or me? Do you remember that? I said, well, you, Bradford. <clears throat> no, I didn't say that. I, what, I, what I said to him was, well, you know, Bradford, Pops has got big enough love to love both of you. I've loved your daddy longer than I've loved you. But Pops has got enough going to love both of you. Even still, I can't build my life on my love of my family and my family's love for me. Very important building blocks in life. But the foundation has to be something else. Here's, here's the issue. Some, if not most people, are building lean-tos instead of towers. <clears throat> Life is built on their own understanding, not on the wisdom of God. And this thing, this whole thing started. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, <clears throat> be wise. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You ever leaned on something that gave way with you? There are a lot of things in life that we lean on that can give way. You can't lean on your own understanding. A word to the wise is that he who has ears to hear should hear that Fools fall, but wisdom stands. The principle given in our text is also stated in Luke chapter 6 with a bit more clarification. Luke 6, 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. You know what the key is? The key is in digging deep. That's the key. Dig deep enough to find the solid rock. You have to have a a life that is built deep enough to sit on the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is Christ. Too many of us have Christ over here to the side in some sort of a shrine in our lives and we display Christ on Sunday. We display Christ when we need to display Him. We reference Christ when we need to reference Him, but we have not dug down and built on Him. And when the storms come, and they will, and when the rain falls, and it must, we'll find that the the life that we were building that we thought was so good has washed away and leaned over and, and whole sections of it fallen out. And we say, how did this happen? Because there was the cornerstone sitting off to the side instead of sitting under the foundation of your life. You say, Pastor Ray, do you believe that? Well, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice but to, to believe it. Jesus said this. 
Well, can you demonstrate it in your own life? I'm sure that I can demonstrate it in my own life, but I got to tell you something. You don't need for me to demonstrate it in my own life to believe it. You need to demonstrate it in your life. You need to dig down and find the foundation in your life. We've learned that there are way too many who build shallow lives. But how do you build on the wisdom of the solid rock? We, that is all of us who want to withstand the storms of life but find the resolve needed to always trust the judgment of God difficult, we need to find how to build on the rock. Look, remember the words of a man who weathered more storms in life than any other human being who ever lived. Here's what that man said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What is it that has caused any trust to fail in your life? There should never be a failure of trust. The wisdom of the Christian life calls for this kind of trust and resolve. So we've asked questions this morning. The first question, can you hear it? The second question, do you see it? Here's the third question, will you live it? A lot of people see it, a lot of people hear it, but they just won't live it. Before long, probably this summer, we're going to offer the newest version of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And it's a plan that will make a difference in your life regardless of your age, your marital status, or or your gender. And I I hope that when the time comes that you'll sign up and that you'll commit to it. I think it's about six or seven weeks long. However, if you attend every single session and take notes on every single thing and memorize all that you need to memorize, yet you do not change any of your financial habits, attending that seminar will do nothing for you. There are a lot of people who have serious issues in life that have a a section of their bookshelf filled with seminar notes on how to fix that certain serious area of their lives. They just didn't fix it. Knowing what is right is not a substitute for doing what is right. Knowing to fix it is not a substitute for fixing it. There are a lot of broken homes with marital seminar notebooks on the shelf. There are too many homes with difficult children, yet the parents have read any number of books on raising children. They just couldn't deal with their difficult children or wouldn't. And there are many wandering souls who have multiple copies of God's Word in their homes, yet they still wander about with the Word of God right there in the center of their living room. It's important to know the right things, but it's more important to do the right things, not just to be hearers but to be doers. That's what James said in James 1 and verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
for he looks at himself and goes away and at, one, at once <clears throat> forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And do you do what you know? You've been stopped by a police officer for speeding and said, you know, I, I knew what speed limit was, but I just got in a hurry. And he writes you out a ticket and he hands it to you and he says, be a doer, not just a hearer. Do what's right. Don't just know what's right. This is such an interesting story here. A 2006 medical study reveals how difficult it is for people to change. Roughly 600,000 people have heart bypasses a year in America. That's a lot. These people are told after their bypasses that they must change their lifestyle. The heart bypass is a temporary fix, they are told. They must change their diet. They must quit smoking. They must quit drinking. They must exercise and reduce stress. In, in essence, here's what the doctors are saying. Change or die. Now, you would think that a near-death experience would forever grab the attention of patients who have had open-heart surgery. You would think the argument for change is so compelling that the patients would make the appropriate lifestyle alterations. Sadly, that is not the case. Listen to this. Ninety percent of heart patients do not change. Ninety percent. That means of the 600,000 heart patients a year who have heart surgery, 540,000 of them make no changes. I said, well, how? How stupid are they? About as stupid as we are. They remain the same, living the status quo. Study after study indicates that two years after heart surgery, the patients have not altered their behavior. Change is just that difficulty. The, the majority of heart patients choose not to change. In essence, here's what they say. I would rather die than change. Could it be said for most of us who read our Bibles, most of us who pray, most of us who attend church regularly and try to be around Christian people as much as possible, yet still struggle building on the rock, could it be said that we would rather know the right thing than to make the right changes? We know the wisdom of building on the rock but we choose the foolishness of building on the sand. You'll think about this tomorrow, by the way. You'll think about it Tuesday. You'll think about it one day this week when you're offered a rock choice and a sand choice. And the sand choice is so appealing. You'll choose the sand over the rock. But you'll remember, you'll remember that 90% of the heart patients continue the same kind of lifestyle, even though the lifestyle caused them to have the 
the heart surgery. We know the wisdom of building on the rock, but we choose the foolishness of building on the sand. A word to the wise is to build on the rock. Don't just make the rock a reference in your life. Don't just have a place for the rock in your life. Don't just just, uh, know that the rock has room in your life. Don't just give the rock some time on Sunday morning in your life. Dig down and make the rock the cornerstone. And when the storm comes, and it will come, and the wind blows, and they will blow, and the rain falls, it will fall. You will get wet. You will shiver in the cold. The thunderstorms and the the lightning strikes will be all around you. And you will certainly take on some stress. But in the end, you'll stand because you dug down and built on the rock. That's how Jesus ended it. Preached this great sermon. Gave all of this great information. And then he said, now let me end it like this. You're all builders. You all have two choices. You're all going to make some kind of a choice. If you don't make the right one, when the storm comes and it's coming, you'll collapse. After Jesus finished the sermon, there was this reaction from the crowd. Verse 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. A couple of questions and we're done. First of all, what authority does Jesus have in your life? Does he have authority in your life? Does he have the authority to make changes in your goals? Does he have the authority to make changes in your habits? Does he have the authority to make changes in your financial picture? Does he have the authority to make changes in your your morals? Does he have the, the authority to make changes in your values? What authority does he have in your life? When Jesus brought this message to a close, he called for action. He said, be wise and build on the rock. Don't be foolish and build on the sand. All of us are building. The question is about the foundation, not the facade. It's not how do I look, but how will I stand? You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.